0: Good evening, everybody. Let's open up our Bibles to Genesis, the third chapter. And once you get to Genesis, the third chapter, you can just leave it laying right there. Just stay parked right there for the duration of the lesson. You know, sometimes you preach on a subject that requires uh, lots of different passages from lots of different places, and that was kind of the case this morning. But sometimes everything that we need is just kind of right here in a single text, and that'll be the case tonight in Genesis, chapter 3. It's great to see everybody tonight. I'm so glad that you are here. I hope that you've had a, a pleasant afternoon, maybe a restful afternoon. hope you've been able to enjoy this good day uh, in one way or another. Uh, and um, I'm just appreciative of the fact that you're here tonight and join in so heartily in the, the song service and in the prayer that was offered a few moments ago. And just glad we have this extra opportunity on a Sunday to get to worship together and to study together. Let's get right to that in Genesis chapter 3. I want to begin by reading the first eight verses of this text. In Genesis 3, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, "...now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither should you touch it, lest you die." And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. There is an unspoken understanding between parents and their children that says, not all the questions that we ask our children are meant to be taken at face value and given a literal answer. In fact, sometimes the questions that parents ask their children uh, are designed to just go deeper than what the question may appear. It's designed to cause our kids to, to think a little bit, to probe a little bit beneath the surface, rather than just giving a flat, actual answer to the question. For example, if your teenage daughter comes home with a science paper, and there's a big red 38 at the top of that paper, And then mom sees that and she says, what is this? That daughter knows and she understands that in that moment her answer should not be, well, mom, that's called a science test. You see all those questions over there on the side and then over there out next to them? Those are my answers, most of which are wrong, which would explain the big red 38 at the top of the paper. She knows that that is not what mom is looking for when she asks that question, what is this? Or when your teenage son comes home on a Friday night and he hands over a speeding ticket, 97 in a 55. And dad looks at that and he says, son, what were you thinking? The son knows in that moment that he is not to say, well, dad, I came up on this big stretch of open road and I was thinking to myself, I ought to just put the pedal to the metal and let's just see if this baby will go. No! Children reach an age where they begin to understand that sometimes mom and dad's questions are not really meant to be taken uber-literally. Sometimes those questions are scratching and clawing and probing for something deeper, something that is more introspective than just a surface-level answer. And in Genesis the third chapter, I believe that's exactly what we see God doing with His first children in the Garden of Eden. In those verses that we just read, and in fact those verses that were part of our Bible reading this past week, God's first human children, Adam and Eve, they've just sinned. That's what we just read about. They have broken God's law, and in turn, they have broken God's heart. And now God, as any other good parent would do, He must now go to them. He must now come to them in the garden, and He has to confront His children over their disobedience. But rather than just jumping straight to the discipline, or rather than just jumping straight to the penalty and to the punishment for their sin, God actually begins by asking them a series of questions series of questions that clearly on the surface indicate that God's not looking for a literal answer here. That's not really what He's interested in when He asks these questions. Rather, God wants to use these questions to get Adam and Eve to think. That's what a good parent does. We're trying to get our kids to think a little bit, to do some examining, to understand where it is that they went wrong. And this evening, for just a few minutes, I want us to go... There's the garden. And I want us to revisit this very famous and familiar confrontation that God has. And I want us to look at those questions that God asks of Adam and Eve. What He asks of His first children. And I think there's probably maybe even some kind of some undertones, some subtle ideas that we as parents can glean from this. But that's really not the motivation this evening. Instead, I want to see what God had to say to those first children And then I want us to think a little bit about what those questions are actually saying to you and me even today. Are you ready for that? Let's just join the reading. Let's pick back up in verse 9 where we left off, and that's where we'll find that first question. In verse 9, the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? That very first question that God asked his son Adam is, Adam? Where are you? Have you ever stopped and pondered why God would ask Adam that question? Did God not know where Adam was? You know, was this like you know, God's GPS wasn't working and he's needing some coordinates here? Was this some kind of a game of hide and seek going on in the Garden of, of, of Eden there? Hey, where's Adam? Adam, I can't find you. Come out, come out wherever you are. Is that what's going on here? No. No, God knows exactly where Adam is. He knows exactly his geographical pinpoint in the garden. God asked Adam this question because Adam needed to know where he was. And where was Adam? He's cowering behind the trees. He is afraid of God. He is afraid of a God who up to this point has been nothing but good to him, who has been nothing but loving and gracious and kind to him, And Adam needed to figure out, why am I here? Why am I in the place that I am at? Where are you, Adam? It's as if God is saying, Adam, look at yourself. Look at where you are right now. How did you come to be in this position and in this place at this moment in time? And I do believe that, at least for this first question, I believe Adam gets it. I think he understands what God is going for here. In fact, as you notice in verse 10, you'll notice that Adam does not give kind of the uber-literal answer. He does not speak up and say, Hey God, I'm right over here. You were asking for me. I'm exactly right here. That's not what Adam says. No, Adam says in verse 10, He says, God, I was hiding. And I was hiding because I was afraid. And because I was ashamed of what I had done. And let's be clear before this father and son and daughter arrangement, before it was ever going to be able to get anywhere, get to a place where there's good things happening, this issue, where are you? This needed to be settled first. If God was going to be able to deal with this problem with His children, Adam and Eve needed to first know where they were. And so do you and I. One of the critical components that you and I need in order to become the kind of people that God wants us to be, is for us to have the capacity to know where we are. And if there is ever a time of the year, if you're looking at your calendar, and you're trying to figure out what what would be an opportune time for people to do some examining of themselves and to figure out where they are, a time in our lives when people are generally willing to just pause everything and to think about that, it's right now, isn't it? It's at the beginning of a new calendar year. This is that time of year when people are just kind of inclined to do some personal inventory. We maybe spend a little bit of time looking back at where we've been. And we kind of look ahead longingly and hopefully to, to where we want to be. And that, of course, naturally then causes us to look at the present as to where we are right now. And so, question number one, where are you? It's a good question for us, isn't it? Where are you? And I hope you understand that I'm really asking that in in a main sense. I'm asking that spiritually. Spiritually, where are you? Where, Where do things stand presently between you and God? How strong is your relationship with the Lord at this present moment in time? What's your prayer life look like? What's your Bible study habits look like? Are there any Bible study habits there? How is the Lord reigning in your life in the workplace? How does He govern how you work there? Is the Lord reigning in your marriage and dictating who and what you are in that relationship? Is the Lord governing who and what you do as a a parent in your relationship to your kids? Kids, is the Lord reigning in your lives and how you interact and respond to your parents? What about in other relationships? What about within this family? What about within the church Family, are there connections here? Is there being plugged in? Are we involved in the work of the Lord, in kingdom labors? Can you look back maybe at 2019 and say, you know what, that was a really good year for me. I made some real strides in my spiritual life. I can see some ways tangibly that I have grown and I have matured in Christ Jesus. Things are getting really good. Things are getting very much better with me and the Lord. Is that the way that you feel as you kind of ponder back and reflect? Or is maybe you just would prefer to maybe not even think about that at all? Because where you are right now doesn't really show any signs of progress. Maybe where you are right now shows signs of of setbacks and backtracking. And so as a result of that, maybe like Adam, you are ashamed. And maybe you are afraid. You are afraid that God, your Father, is not pleased with you. I want you to listen very carefully. Taking that kind of spiritual inventory, I realize it is not always pleasant. But it is so needful when we are willing to honestly examine ourselves, Paul commands it in 2 Corinthians 13 and in verse 5, when we are honestly examining our lives, when we ask ourselves, where am I? That helps provide clarity for what we need to do next and where we need to go. So question number one, where are you? Adam's reply in verse 10 prompts that second question from God. Actually, it's two questions. Let's just look at Adam's response in full verse 10 again. Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Verse 11, God says, Who told you? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now, Once again, we're kind of left to ponder why does God ask this second question when surely He knows the answer because He asked Adam secondly, who told you that? Adam's repeated some information back to God. God wants to know, where'd you get that information from? Now, was God somehow unaware of this encounter with the devil earlier in the chapter? Was God's hearing just not very good and He wasn't able to really clearly hear the conversation that was happening between the snake and the woman? No. no. God heard it all. God saw it all. God knew about all of that. He knew all of that, all of that before He even asked Adam this question. But the reason that God asked Adam this question is because He wants Adam to think about the source of His information. Adam, who was it that told you the things that you've heard? Because I'll tell you this, it certainly wasn't God. Back in chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 and 17, God had been very clear about His expectations for His children. So who is it that provided this new information? Where did that come from if it didn't come from God? Adam, who have you been listening to? And that's a good question for Adam. And that's still a good question for us. That's a very relevant question for us in the 21st century. Because in many ways, we get to where we are in life. That's question number one. Because of who and what we listen to. Question number two. For example, there's probably a lot of people in our world and in this country right now who rolled into the new year with a truckload of financial debt and all of the grief that goes along with that because during the holiday season, they chose... To listen to the advertisers who said, oh, you have to have this. And they chose to listen to their friends who said, oh, you deserve this. And they chose to listen to Mr. Chase and Mr. Visa and Mr. MasterCard who said, oh, you got to have those things right now. And they listened to those voices instead of listening to those voices of wisdom. And those people who said, hey, you can't afford that right now. You shouldn't be buying that. There may well be some students who are about to roll into this new semester with loads of academic trouble because they listen to some wrong voices. Maybe they listen to some friends who said, study for the test. Why would you want to do it? We got a cool new video game for Christmas. We need to be playing that. Let's link up online. Let's play this game. Don't worry about that test. They listen to those voices instead of listening to the voice of the teacher or the voice of parents who said, hey, you need to study and prepare for the test. And there are people as well in our world who are rolling into the new year with major spiritual problems because they've listened to all kinds of wrong voices in the religious world. They've listened to that charismatic preacher and his voice on television. They've listened to the voice of those best-selling religious authors who have all kinds of ideas to share and they haven't spent enough time listening to the source material itself haven't been listening to the voice of God in His Word. The point of all this is to simply say, we hear a lot of voices today. Maybe in our time, maybe we hear more voices than maybe any other people at any other time in history. We hear the voices of our friends and of our family. We hear the voices of our brothers and our sisters in Christ. We hear the voices of our teachers and of counselors and of politicians and of experts. We hear the voices of our culture in media and in advertisers. Everywhere, everybody is just saying all kinds of stuff. And they want us to hear what it is that they have to say. And in the midst of all of those voices that are bombarding our ears and our brainwaves, we're going to have to decide, who are we going to listen to? Young people, do we listen to our peers who tell us and want to convince us what a good and great time we can have if we'll just smoke this or if we'll just drink that? Or do we instead listen to our parents and those who have some age and some wisdom about them who try to warn us that all of that junk it's just bad news. Stay away from it. Who are we listening to? Parents. Do we listen to all of the latest pop child psychologists, all of the so-called experts who say, you know what, you need to back off with your kids. You need to be more permissive with your children. Or do we listen to that good older brother and sister who have raised children in the Lord who say, no, 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 no. You need to actually pull the reins in on your kids. You need to crack down on them a little bit. Do we listen to our boss and to our higher-ups at work who say, you know what, you need to be more committed to the company? Or do we listen to our spouse who says, no, you need to be more committed to this family? You see, who we listen to, all of these voices, all of these messages, that has huge implications on the outcome of our life. Who told you that, God asked. Who are you listening to? Can I make two quick observations about that question before I move on? First of all, I believe that ultimately, we only hear two voices. And not coincidentally, it is the same two voices that Adam and Eve heard back in Genesis chapter 3. Either we are going to hear the voice of God calling us through Scripture calling us through teaching, calling us through godly people and godly influences, or we're going to hear the voice of Satan as he calls us through temptation, as he calls us through the perverse and disgusting media of our world, as he calls us through ungodly and wicked people. There's really only two voices at the end of the day. Which means, secondly, that we need to get really, really good at hearing the right voice. And when I say we need to get good at hearing the right voice, I don't mean that we need to try to somehow attune our minds and attune our ears to hear some still, mysterious voice in the middle of the night who calls to us and God says things to us through extra-biblical revelation. That's not what I'm talking about. When I say we need to get good at hearing the right voice, I mean that we need to get into God's book. That's how He speaks to us. That's why we need to read it and study it. And know it well so that I'm able to distinguish between the voice of truth and the voice of error. I'm able to distinguish between the voice of righteousness and the voice of unrighteousness. And you know what? Even as I read and get familiar with the book, even if I don't know it all word for word, even if I'm not able to just you know rip off and quote passages directly from memory, I'm going to know God's voice well enough that I can hear and I can distinguish between His voice and the hissing sound of the serpent. And I'm able to look at that and I'm able to say, no, I may not be able to just quote exactly what that passage says, but I'm pretty sure that doesn't match up with what I know. The essence of what this book teaches, that is not the voice of God. Until we know the book, then we're just going to end up being confused by all the different voices and all the different noises that we're hearing. I need to get really good at knowing my Father's voice, so that I can be certain when this question comes, I can be certain and I can say, God, you're the one who told me that and I know it full well. And Adam answers God's question when God asks, who told you that? Look at verse 12. Here's Adam's response. In verse 12, Adam said, The woman, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Adam says, Lord, I listened to Eve. And by listening to Eve, that means that I chose to listen to the wrong voice. And it is that response that prompts God to ask this final question. And this final question is actually directed to Eve. Look in verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? God asked the woman, Eve, what have you done? Now, that sounds very much like the questions that we ask our children, doesn't it? I walked in the living room the other morning, and Hattie had busted one of those little squishy balls. I think she was really interested to know what's inside those squishy balls. She found out that day. It was all over her face. It was all over her shirt. It was all over the rug. Not not only that, but I walk in the living room, and she has this little sand, this little play sand that she had gotten for Christmas. Bright pink. It's all over the rug. It's everywhere. And of course, as she's got just guilt written all over her face, I ask her the question, What have you done? What did you do? And of course, Hattie being five years old, she then begins to recount for me exactly what happened. Well... I was holding this ball and I was squeezing it and it busted out and then I had this in my hands and it fell up. No, 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 no. I'm not interested in all the details. I don't need all of that rehearsed. And you know what? That's not really what God's going for here with Eve. God does not need Eve to recount all of the details and all of the specifics of the story. He does not need Eve to say, hey, well I was, I was in the garden and then the serpent come along and then he said this and then I said that and then he said this back and before he knew it we were eating the fruit. That's That's not what God needs. He doesn't need a retelling of the events. What God needs is for Eve to think about what she had done. And you will notice, as we've read here, that both she and Adam, they both have some difficulty with accepting responsibility, don't they? In verse 12, what did Adam do? Well, the first thing he does is he throws his wife under the bus. And then in kind of a backhanded way, he throws God under the bus. That seems like terrible strategy when you're talking to the Lord. And then look at the end of verse 13. God asks that question, what's this that you have done? And what's the woman say? She says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. What both of these people have, one of the things that they clearly have in common, is they both have a victim complex. And the truth of the matter is, we're not surprised by that. Because here we are even thousands of years later, generations later, and things have not changed here in 2019, have we? We live in a culture of blame, pointing the finger at everyone else and everything else. We live in a culture whose mantra is, it's not my fault. I worked for 10 years in a prosecutor's office. Can you guess what I heard from people on a near daily, hour-to-hour basis? The kinds of people that we were dealing with? I heard on a daily basis, it wasn't my fault. I didn't do it. I'm innocent here. They did it. It's their fault. She did that. He did that. Human beings have always been very, very adept at shifting responsibility and pointing the finger of blame at someone or something else. But I will have you to notice that with this question, God cuts right through all of that. God says, Eve, what have you done? The implication here is God saying, I know you did something, Eve, and I want you to recognize that. You are culpable. You are guilty. You are going to have to give an answer for what you have done. You say what you will about Michael Jackson. Maybe he was a pedophile. Maybe he was a creep. Maybe he was really, really weird. But you know what? He put a song out about 30 years ago that has a powerful truth that Adam and Eve and you and I need to get fully on board with. And that song said, I'm looking at the man in the mirror. That's what I need to do. That's what you need to do. I need to be able to look at myself inwardly. I need to be able to take ownership of my sins. And then I need to make a change. Because one day God is going to look at me. And He is not going to charge my failures to my wife's account. He is not going to charge my failures to my daddy's account. He's not going to charge my failures to the church's account. He's not going to charge my failures to society's account. He's going to look at me and He's going to want to know, What have you done, Josh McKibben? Which means... I need to be taking this question, I need to be taking it very personally, and I need to be taking that very personally right now. What have I done? Where am I right now? Who have I been listening to that has brought me to the place that I am at? And what am I going to do about all of that right now? As a loving Father, and I think we see the tenderness and the special care with which God parents these first two children here in Genesis chapter 3. God, in the same way, He is very, very patient with us. He has parented us in the most perfect and holy way imaginable. He's been incredibly gracious, incredibly merciful with all of us down to this present point in time. But you know what? A day will come, a moment will come when all the questions are going to stop. God's not going to ask those questions anymore. Because at that time, it will be time for judgment. Now will be the time for discipline. It will be the time for punishment for those who have been on the receiving end. And for His first two children, what was that punishment? Well, it was expulsion from that garden of paradise. For you and I, in a similar vein... It will be exclusion from that garden of paradise that God has created in heaven for those who are faithful and obedient unto Him. As we extend the invitation of the Lord, it really would be unfair of me to leave this chapter without a shred of good news. And this chapter does have a word of good news. When you keep reading in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, when God addresses the serpent, He says to him, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring... He he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise His heel. That is the first messianic prophecy of Scripture. And that is God signaling right here at the very beginning that He has a plan, that He has devised in His mind all the way in eternity past, a plan to make possible for sinners to be reconciled back to Him. Yes, sin creates terrible consequences for us and for the people around us, But thanks be to God that through Jesus Christ we can be brought back to Him in a right relationship with Him, in fellowship with Him. And one day, we can fully know what Adam and Eve knew in the very beginning. We can know what paradise really is like. Are you a Christian this evening? If you're not, we really would like to encourage you to think about that. Think about these questions this evening. Think about that first question. Where are you? Where are you? Think about where you are right now in relationship to God. If you're not a child of His, that means you are separated from God. That's not a position that you want to be in. Jesus is able to provide the bridge back to Him. Will you obey Him? Will you respond to Him in faith? Confessing His name before this good audience tonight? Repenting and turning from sin? Being baptized in water for the remission of your sins? Do that this evening. That'll put you in God's family. You'll be a child of His You can know the blessings and the joys of being a part of God's wonderful family. If you are a part of God's family, brother or sister, but maybe you've not been living right, maybe like Adam and Eve, you've been rebellious, you've not been faithful to Him, you've been disobedient to His will, repent of that. Get that turned around. Stop whatever it is that you're... Stop the sinning as we talked about this morning. Get serious about serving the Lord once again in a new and better way. If we can encourage you and lift your hands and help you in doing just that, we stand ready to do that. This is a family. and We want to help each other to be in heaven with that great family throughout the ages of the ages when that day comes. Are you ready? If you're not ready, let's get ready right now while we stand and while we sing.